With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. We are back on another episode of the Anonymous Eagle Podcast. My name is Patrick Leary. I'm joined, as always, by Ben Snyder. Uh, ben, what up, how, nerds? how has your week been? My weekend, actually, yeah. we, sh- we should actually get this out of the way first. Uh, our football teams had a very opposite weekends. Uh, so I want to, on behalf of all Marquette basketball fans out there, apologize to uh, your beloved Seattle Seahawks. May they rest yeah. in peace. Um, you know. I'm, I wasn't too broken up about it. Um, it was a great game and great season, but I don't think the Seahawks had um, championship ambitions. It would have been very difficult for a roster that was as beaten up as that to uh, now, a make team that. that does have some championship ambitions. I was just really wanting to get the Seahawks talk out of the way in like yeah, 10 seconds because uh, uh, Chiefs are going to the AFC Championship. I'd just like to say that uh, yeah, it's going to be mean, a home game again. I'm really yeah. excited uh, looking at ticket prices. Uh, I'll probably be looking at tickets throughout the entirety of the podcast and giving updates on uh, how those uh, upper level seats are doing price wise. We're looking at like three hundred dollars right now after fees. So uh, Oof, it'll be a pretty that's, penny. That's steep. Yeah. I mean, um, you have to pay to be in the loudest stadium in the NFL. Uh, OK, let's yeah, nice. Um, is the part of the fee is like the questionably uh, offensive uh, pregame chant part of the fee, or is that is that baked in today? We don't talk about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's not. Let's not. Uh, Just sweep it under the rug. Yeah, we'll talk right, about exactly. it in the off season or something like yeah. that. Sounds 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 good. Circle back when we uh, when we figure that one out. Off season um, content. So, yeah, I mean, just quickly, uh, we don't have Sam today. Uh, we probably won't have Sam for a while. Uh, Sam decided that he didn't enjoy being a part of Marquette Twitter anymore, um, including uh, being a part of what we do here. Uh, and so, you know, I wouldn't want someone to not enjoy doing something like this. Um, I do it because when we started it, because we both love market basketball and feel a certain way about being a part of the market Twitter community. And, you know, that changed for Sam. Uh, so um, that's the choice that he made and we got to live with it. But I would say for sure, um, Ben, you have been a revelation on uh, the podcast since we essentially didn't even talk about it, but made you the third co-host. Um, uh, yeah, very, very accidentally got uh, pushed into this. Uh, but we'll, we, we roll with it. We roll with it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, you are, um, we're going to try to keep doing this and, uh, you know, because we both love doing it. And so, uh, and the Marquette Twitter community and Marquette basketball, um, is still something that is a positive 
force in our lives, I would say, um, despite <laughs> causing. Yeah, yeah, you're really uh, segueing great into the week that was Marquette basketball here. Yeah, I mean, gosh, uh, pretty terrible, um, all things considered. Um, and, you know, really concerning from the standpoint of, you know, what is the future of not just this season, but beyond as far as, um, you know, I think the mark, uh, you know, Twitter can be an echo chamber um, and an ineffective way of gauging certain things. I think generally Twitter is a pretty good gauge of Marquette basketball fandom. Um, maybe yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like, you know, they've talked about how the political opinions represented on Twitter are representative of like 5% of the country. And so you're not supposed to like listen to Twitter about political things because it's polarized and extreme and an overreaction. But I do think that Marquette basketball, a lot of Marquette basketball, hardcore fandom lives on Twitter. And I think probably, you know, as is to be expected, there was a bit of a critical mass of um, frustration um, bubbling up over the last two games. I think you're going to see that happen anytime you achieve an amazing result like beating Villanova convincingly. Um, and then your next two games um, are as disappointing as the Providence and Seton Hall games. Um, the last two initial times initial thoughts. That, uh, the last two times that uh, Marquette has played Villanova and Providence consecutively at home, they have resulted in a win and a loss. That's a weird commonality. Um, my main thought about the week that was is that the Seton Hall loss, in and of itself, probably not terrible. Like they lost by a lot more than they should have been expected to. But, like, it's a loss that a lot of people had on their calendars going into this, probably. Um, Without a doubt. It's exacerbated more by the Providence loss and what the Providence loss meant, which was that in order to make up for that, they would, in all likelihood, have to counterbalance that with either a tough one on the road against Seton Hall, Xavier, Villanova, Butler, or a home one against Butler. And even though we're what four games into the conference season, these types of good wins are only going to get more scarce to come by. So the Seton Hall loss was one of six more chances to get that good win. And so uh, the Providence loss is in all likelihood going to be a Q3 loss, which is about as bad of a mark as you can have on a resume of a team that's they might not be fighting for a chance in the tournament but it's probably gonna come down to the last couple weeks if their fate is going to be decided so it's a it's a nail biter because it's a loss and it also just uh it kind of confirmed some of our worries before the Villanova game that we thought were fixed from the Villanova game about uh the help around Marcus Howard. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right that 
were the Providence game to go, you know, the other way, we'd be significantly less worried right now. Um, I think the the Providence game is really, really costly um, in a number of fronts. Um, I think the psychological um, collective that everyone was like, oh, cool, we just beat Villanova, but last time we beat Villanova, we lost to Providence, and then it happens again. It's just Mm -hmm. so damaging from a uh, fan confidence standpoint. Um, You know, just like, how is this team unable to replicate their results game to game? How is this team not able to capitalize on momentum and avoid a letdown? It's, it's really, really frustrating um, that that happens like that. Um, and I think there are some individual a- aspects of that game, be it um, struggling to foul up three um, at the end, um, I personally think it's not super cut and dry. Um, yep, I absolutely agree. I, I think this team should foul up three because they're more likely to win a free throw shooting duel. But I also think that in that particular instance, when Providence has the ball starting with about 18 seconds left, Um, And the guy who eventually takes the shot shoots it at around six, seven seconds. It's very difficult to execute that play. Um, Yeah. Yeah. He, he shot it a lot earlier than uh, around the time that you would like start to think like I should foul this guy. Yeah. And I think that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And Reeves being a what? 25% three point shooter on the year. Plus the fact that, uh, Really, towards the end of that half, Providence was starting to get a good amount of offensive rebounds against Marquette. So, like, in the theoretical instance in which he makes his first free throw and intentionally misses the second, it's not a guarantee that it doesn't result in an easy rebound for yeah Providence and they get a layup. If you remember, I think, New Year's Day of 2017, that's how... Marquette lost the game to Seton Hall was through an instance very similar to that. So it has happened before when you do the quote unquote smart thing to foul up three. Totally. Um, and it doesn't always work. Um, but I think you really look at how difficult it would have been to execute that perfectly. And what you're left with in the end is, dude made a lucky difficult three and it eventually cost you the game. I mean, the real Mm. thing is they really couldn't get a stop in overtime. Yep. Um, which like, if you want to point to something like get a stop in overtime. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I don't have, again, when you're down how much they were down or when, when there was not enough time left, the timeout that Wojo takes at the end, um, is probably water under the bridge, but from a strategic standpoint, especially since, like I've said, the critical mass of market Twitter is starting to to ask a lot of questions. Um, the decision 
that just is very clearly um, a confusing one, if not the wrong one, um, in how to spend that time out um, with the guy in the free throw line is definitely frustrating. Yeah, like in terms of just win probability, yeah, it's going to bring you down from 2% to 0.3% or right. whatever I made those numbers up. It's more about yeah. the thought process in calling that timeout that is right. uh, frustrating to It's It's those the fans. principle of trying to like trust that the right thing is going to happen, and then you see that, and it seems so clearly to be a decision that doesn't make as much sense as the alternative absolutely Um, and you kind of you did kind of touch on this um if uh you're fine with me uh delving into a slightly different topic but uh are you worried about the defense as a whole um i mean yeah i'm sure I, i so at at points right um i think I wanted to definitely shout out Andy's article. Um, sometimes it's not complicated um, where he, you know, was attempting to do a deep dive into Marquette's struggles, but was basically just like Marquette's five losses are the worst five defensive performances of the season. And four of the five are their worst offensive performances. So they're just sucking in a inconsistent manner. Um, and, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think the Creighton game was really, really bad from that standpoint. Yeah. Um, just like so bad. Uh, whereas a game like Seton Hall, um, I think there were points where I felt good about the defense, but then it sort of fell off a cliff. Um. And on top of that, the offense was really poor um, in the second half. Um, that was Marquette's best defensive performance in a loss against Seton Hall. And Providence was the next best. So those yeah. were not the immensely poor outliers like the Creighton game, like the Maryland game, and whatever the hell happened against Wisconsin where they were just throwing in shots willy-nilly. Um, quick, yeah. uh, quick, uh, trivia for you, uh, kind of, uh, let's see how well, you know, Wisconsin basketball, what do you think their ranking is national ranking is three point percentage? Oh God. It's gotta be, is it in the three hundreds? No, it oh, has, God. it has gotten way better since, uh, we predicted that that would be by far their best performance. They are sitting at a crisp 170, which is a, uh, it's not great, but uh, they're getting a uh, uh, effective field goal percentage right around 50, shooting 33 percent from the year. Is probably how I should have uh, phrased that, but uh, yeah, yeah, they've they've gotten a lot so better from three. They are now a national average team shooting. Essentially, yes. Corners. great, lovely um <laughs> sick uh but yeah i don't know uh i yeah i'd say i'm worried about the defense um theo john um is a great shot blocker but really not showing to be a great defensive player um and i think that that's a huge issue i still um, think that he's 
the defensive player that he has the reputation of, given what we saw in the Villanova game. Ooh. <laughs> quick, uh, quick real-life pause. Uh, my chicken is done. There you go. Important breaking breaking news update. Wow, breaking news of the day. That's a lot chicken thighs with some peppers. Um, I'd be curious what you're to hear your Theo John's thoughts, but I mean, for me right now, um, you know, against Seton Hall, Jace Johnson played 21 minutes. Um, yeah, I was I was gonna say that I'm more uh, I'm more worried about uh, the foul issues for Theo John that have come up recently and uh, the rather limited upside on offense that yeah, well that's we were able to see early on in that too. Seton Hall game where he missed two consecutive shots. So. Yeah, I mean, it was a really, really difficult game for him. Now, Romero Gill is not, um, you know. Short. No, yeah, he's, he's, he poses matchup challenges. But I think you saw a lot of um, Gill and Obiagu. Obiagu? Obiagu. Obiagu. Like the um, big ragu. Yes. A lot of them just sort of like catching lobs. And I was just like, huh, I wonder if Marquette's big guys could catch lobs. Yeah. Not that our guards can't pass. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I think, yeah, I mean, overall, I would say I am concerned about the defense. I'm concerned about the team as a whole, though. I don't know if I'm particularly um, concerned about the offense more or less than I'm concerned about the defense. We don't discriminate on the Anonymous Eagle podcast. We, uh, we are scared about all things. Yeah, equal equal anxiety. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah, Ken, you look at Ken Palm right now, and these numbers keep getting worse. But you know, it's 41st ranked offense and 46th ranked defense. So Ken Palm isn't saying one is particularly worse than the other. Um, but I, yeah, I I think the biggest issue is this team is. Um, one and three in the conference, um, and all three losses you have immense bad taste in your mouth coming out of. You felt like you were blown out in two, um, and the other one was a, an absolute nail-biting loss that will have um, massive implications on the resume. So it, it, it's just all negativity, Um weirdly wrapped around this amazing win against Villanova that is just pretty much almost an afterthought at this point, which is incredible. I mean, that's their best result by far against Villanova since the new conference um, officially came into being. And it's essentially moot right now because uh, they aren't being consistent enough to support that with anything. It's absolutely mind-boggling how... Of all the coaches in the Big East for Wojo to like just show his nuts off against, yeah, it's Jay Wright. Totally crazy. Like, what the hell, it doesn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I I think somewhere this team needs to show a you know a more consistent level because I don't know what the issue is um, across the across the program, but um, it, they're just not showing up um, ready to, you know, fight tooth and nail in these games to the end. 
And the Big East is an absolute nightmare this year. Um, you, you don't have an easy game. I mean, arguably, Marquette has already lost the easiest game on the Big East schedule. I mean, yeah. they would the the net rating would tell you that. Um, Ken Palm might differ a little bit, but it's not substantial. So, I mean, yeah, uh, where do they go from here? That's a great question. Um, Another fun uh, trivia segment. I just counted uh, how many games has Marquette shot 50% or above from two-point range? Oh, it's going to be really low. This this is, this is a huge issue for this team is – they have played shooting. sixteen. They played sixteen games. I would say it's probably I don't know four. Like wow, it is exactly four. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, if you look at it, um, that's a huge. It's a huge They've factor. Seven too. of twenty-two from inside the arc against Seton Hall. Like that's a bad three-point percentage. Right. Yeah, and I. I mean, if you look at their shooting splits, they're generally regarded as a good shooting team uh, or better than not but they're the fifth best three-point shooting team in the country and the 321st best two-point shooting team in the country that is a just a massive gulf um reflective of big guys that can't score inside and guards that struggle to finish uh in the paint and around the rim um, I want I want one of two things. Like I w- obviously my main want for Marquette is to like do as well as possible. But if they are going to end up like being bad and like missing the tournament or something like that, the way I want it to happen is for them to have a higher three point percentage than two point percentage because I'm not sure if it's ever happened before. It would be it would be cool to see. Well, I'm not, I mean, I'm not it, getting a reciprocation there, but it'd be cool to me. I don't think it's going to be possible. I'm going to put that out there right now. I There's a lot I of data. You got can half dream big enough, Pat, and we've got half the season of data in the bank, and they're still four and a half percent spread. So I don't think they're going to catch them. Hey, but, not with that attitude, they're not. No, I guess not. But I think the biggest thing about that is, you know. This team cannot win easy on the offensive end. And the easiest way to establish offensive consistency is by getting and making easy shots. And this team just does not get that. And that's a yeah. huge concern. I am, uh, I think I was, I think of the three of us, I was uh, <laughs> holding off on uh, the punt on the Kobe McEwen season uh, longer than the others which was odd given how low i was on him at the beginning of the year but i think i am off the kobe McEwen train officially yeah it's a hard train to still be on right now i think the, the yeah, only yeah, way I, know. I, I feel like i made that sound too bold where as yeah. it was just me no it was not unnecessarily stubborn but uh yeah i'm officially off now it's a very easy take at this point um yeah. i i think the one thing you have to the the one reason that I am still willing to let him exist and and play significant time within the offense um, is because I think this team is so much better with him succeeding. The problem is obviously he's not succeeding. Um, but yeah, no, I think, 
you've seen in the Villanova win and the Purdue win, which is their two best wins of the season um, by Ken Palm. Uh, Kobe McEwen was a huge force in both of those games. And so if he gets to that point more consistently, this team is infinitely more capable of winning the average Big East game. That said, um, it's not the most, um, it's, it's not looking like the most likely scenario that he's going to be able to continue to, you know, even approach stuff like that on a regular basis. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm totally, I think at this point it's the opinion you've got to have is like, there's not, it's not working. Um, and, um, Fortunately for him, and unfortunately for Marquette, I think he's going to have time to figure it out because I don't even know what Greg Elliott's status is. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, I that's a huge about that's a huge that. concern. I mean, Greg Elliott has been a generally positive contributor off the bench for this team, with an eye on becoming an even bigger contributor possibly next season he's had a stretch of 15 games where he has been seemingly healthy um Mm -hmm. and appears to no longer be that way and there does not appear he's going to be evaluated game to game with an injury that he required surgery for in the off season is it the same ankle i didn't I don't know. I saw ankle, so obviously there's a chance it could be his other ankle. Um, Given the recent history, I would probably say it's more likely than not that it is the same ankle. Um, But even so, I mean, a guy that has had that many injury issues, a lot of them serious, and you're saying he's out, there wasn't a clear point where he got it injured, and it's game to game. I mean, you might not have Greg Elliott for three, four weeks. You might not have Greg Elliott again. I mean, you probably will, hopefully. Greg uh, Elliott really... could be dead right now. <laughs> Greg the, Elliott the, chance, a... the odds are not zero. Greg Elliott is a missing person. Um, no, I, so, and I think that's huge. I really think that if there's one player wasn't a starter and wasn't a clear like star for this team that you could take out and worry me it would be Greg Elliott um because of you know the role that he's in fits him so well um Mm -hmm. he he contributes exactly what you need in the role that he's in and I don't think Marquette has the guard depth right now, especially with the way that Kobe McHugh has been playing to uh, weather that loss effectively. And I think it's really going to hurt. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I do think that this does open the door for a bigger role for Samir Torrance. And I, I, Right. So I still don't necessarily think that he's like ready, ready 
to be like a major contributor on a right. competing team, considering his uh, sometimes uh, shady defense. Um, yeah, and I think even run. in the Seton Hall game, he wasn't very strong with the ball at a lot of points. Yeah, and but for the most part, he can uh, he can run the offense well, and again, that upside that he can bring would be something to uh, something that the team would really be able to use. It's just again, it's not to the extent of Kobe that you don't know what you're going to get out of him, but uh, he's still a freshman that has a lot to learn. So. Yeah, you're not necessarily going to know what you're going to get from him game by game. Right, and I think you're seeing him in the role that he was put in against Seton Hall on uh, Saturday. Be It's going to be, you know, I would have much preferred the way that they were easing him in having Greg there, um, where he was playing Kobe McEwen foul trouble minutes uh, or you know, spell the point guard briefly where you really don't have to heap a bunch of responsibility on him, but, um, you know, it's good when he succeeds. And if he's not succeeding, you're like, all right, well, he's young, he's got time. But if you're thrusting him into a legitimate role, he's still got plenty of kinks to work out. And I think you're going to start seeing some of them, um, manifest themselves um, in important games just because you have now four guards on this team. So and that and that's calling Sakarian a guard. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you just have to. He's going to have to play, and the unfortunate part is that he's going to make some mistakes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think. I think on the Greg note, it's just a, a bummer because that's not only a key player right now, but a key player for the future. And it's the injury bug just coming. And we should say probably the most entertaining person on the team. Oh, absolutely. Um, a very easy person to root for who you want to see do well and is hilariously funny in a lot of you know what comes through in uh in online social media kind of postings but yeah i mean just a huge bummer and it's going to be a big setback um okay let's take a brief break um and then we'll come back on the other side with some more general thoughts all right um do you want to talk about something positive real quick yeah what's something positive is it the chiefs well we can but we probably shouldn't no um, I, i'm being i'm being sarcastic i thought you maybe were going for a joke no uh a little bit of a brendan bailey resurgence again oh i mean gosh nothing nothing but positive thing nothing uh nothing but respect for my president brendan bailey yeah uh, even in a pretty poor shooting performance against seton hall he was one of eight from behind the arc but yeah. his work on the boards has become like just dominant at this point. 11 rebounds, nine on the defensive end against Seton Hall. I mean, the guy is such a perfect player for the position he's being played in. And yes, if he had made a few more of those threes, it would have been great. And they got blown out um, 
and their blowout was probably exacerbated by the fact that he missed seven three-pointers. A lot of the three-pointers that he took were chucked to him in coverage late in a shot clock, though. Like, that kept mm-hmm. happening. And it's like, Bailey is not a bailout shooter. He is, wow, really nice. Nice, nice. He's not, he's not a bailout shooter. He's a shooter. Um, he, you know, he's a contributing shooter. Um, and he can get hot and take over uh, like he did in the loss to Maryland. But, and the Providence game. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he kept them in the Providence game as well. But I, yeah, but that, I do, yeah, that little runner that was just beautiful. It's something I've been wanting to see from him all year because he's a more than capable driver to the basket, but uh, he can just get a little bit comfortable on that wing and corner sometimes. And uh, it's pretty frustrating when that happens. But when he's hitting threes, it's it's pretty great. Like his two biggest comparisons on Kempom this year are uh, freshman year Duncan Robinson and uh, junior year Cole Hoff, if you remember him from Creighton. They were both uh, some pretty sharp shooting guys that took care of the ball well. So, I mean, if that's the type of thing that we're going to be seeing out of him, then uh, first team all Big East. I mean, he, yeah. Um, he is my favorite Marquette player right now. I know he obviously is yours. Um, but I just think, you know, Marcus Howard is what he is. He is the titan of scoring that keeps us in games that we are struggling in. Um, but Brendan Bailey just does everything right and contributes all across the board and is just the perfect player for his role. And it kills me that a lot of the other spots on the roster are underperforming because this is precisely what Bailey needs to be at this point in his career. Like his timeline is perfect right now. Now I think it's probably helped a little bit by the fact that he's older um, than he should, than he should be for his year in school. Um, But I think he is just right on the progression of where he needs to be. Um, So that's just awesome. And you're right. That is an unmitigated positive, despite his shooting at Seton Hall, which I, again, don't really put on him. Um, Hey, Marcus Howard's playing well. Yeah. Yeah. He's good. He's he's great. Yeah. I mean, like like the Providence game, like even though I spent most of the evening just like mad that we're going to have to get some big road win that's probably never going to happen but like after that I it was one of those games where I sat back and I was like wow Marcus Marcus Howard is really really good like Providence they deployed every single possible resource on him and he still got 39 at a stupid efficient rate like a 39 that included him getting hurt what looked seriously and then basically being out of his rhythm for the next five minutes until like very late in overtime. Yeah. And he only shot and he only got to the line five times and that's been a huge part of his game. But like the fact that he was able to get to the rim pretty effectively and like not need those fouls was great. Plus like just those step back threes that he's able to make with such ease. If I were able to do that even, like, 
twice in my life, I'd be bragging about it for the next 80 years. And he can just do that at the drop of a hat. Yeah, no, I agree. So I think sort of all told, there are a few positives, definitely. And I'm glad we discussed them because I don't want this to be just a total drag of a podcast. Yeah. Um, But ultimately, I mean, stuff needs to change. Um, is this a good work, a good week for it to change? I would say probably, I think this week lines up, you know, independent of where the team is at and not having Greg Elliott and maybe not being in the best place to capitalize. I would say that a winnable home game against an opponent regarded as decent and, a winnable road game against an opponent regarded as less decent presents two good opportunities to sort of right the ship. Um, yeah, I would, uh, given that Butler is lurking down next Friday. Yeah, let's not talk about that. I don't. I yeah, don't, I, w- I would just say Xavier Georgetown and St. John's at home. <clears throat> I. I I hate saying like nothing's a must win game until like the last week of the season. Is it a like, must win or a can't lose? <laughs> nice. Um, but getting all three of those wins in the average finish to the season, I think is very important in terms of the likelihood of Marquette getting into the tournament. Yeah. Uh, I would say winning away at Georgetown would be nice um yeah yeah that that especially is the one that uh i've got circled yeah i mean really shouldn't lose that game uh i will be there uh for what it's worth i will be in our nation's capital um to observe whatever may come of that game are you Uh, going for the sole reason of observing the game uh, that is the impetus of the timing, but it is sort of a, um, it's an excuse to get some folks together. Um, oh. it'll be a good time. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah, really nice little weekend be, with the fellas, you know, maybe that, some ladies too. I don't want to assume you shouldn't assume, but uh, you, you hit it on the head. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think in general, um, beating Georgetown is a super important part of this week. Um, yeah. This team, Georgetown is not, their roster does not, is the, the, things fall apart, the center cannot hold, describes Georgetown's roster right now. They have lost too much talent and too many bodies, period, to maintain uh as a any sort of contender in the conference and so you need to beat them um by the way i, I don't i don't want to let that uh poetry reference uh slip by the audience so uh that, that was a good one the uh it was a question on an episode of jeopardy from last week that i watched last night so that's why i never wa- i never got to watch it is it gonna be on part of the collections on netflix Cause I really oh, you mean the it. you mean the champions? Yeah, term? yeah. So, brief aside, um, my apartment or my house uh, 
records every episode of Jeopardy, and we will binge watch them when we build up a store and have a night to just watch it. So that one was actually on one of the regular episodes of Jeopardy that has continued mm. to happen in the background of this uh, James Holtzauer, Ken Jennings, Brad Rutter tournament, um, which will likely end within the next two nights. Um, I'm very interested in seeing who wins. Um, I could, I, I, Pat's Jeopardy corner could be, could be a potential new segment here because I have. Honestly, I would not be completely against that because uh, my senior year at uh, Marquette, uh, I would watch Jeopardy every night. I have not been able to do so uh, since then because I do not have a recording device and uh, Jeopardy is always on uh, before I get home from work. But I truly, truly miss Jeopardy. If you have some sort of recording device for television, um, shout out YouTube TV, great investment for us and my house. Um, Recording Jeopardy is just an amazing life thing. It's just you you feel so much smarter. You feel like it's it's just like such a positive binge watch. And mm-hmm. truly shout out to the goat Alex Trebek. That guy is absolutely fantastic. So And there's nothing better than getting the question right and someone else doesn't know what it is and you can just like hold that slight bit of information into your own smug little ego for the rest of your life. Completely. All three times that that has happened to me, I could probably name off right now. I I, um, I have informal, um, informal Jeopardy contestant aspirations at some point. Um, Do you remember a contestant from around the winter of 2016-2017 probably named... not go ahead anyway oh uh her name was kirsten no she was my favorite maybe ever. i don't know i really liked okay this is we have to wrap this here no we do I not really... i want to talk about this forever <laughs> i really liked the guy that won 19 games this fall um jason zuffrenary um he uh, was I think he won 19 games. I think that's the number. Um, he was right around when we started recording it. Um, and he is like a gigantically distant third, but third in money and games won uh, to uh, Holtzauer and Jennings now. Um, but like they're at like 2.5 million each. Ken's at like 74 games and... Um, Holtzauer's at 38 or something, and the Zuffrenary is at like 500,000. But he was great. He was just this super down-to-earth teacher in his like late 30s from, I think, like Albuquerque, New Mexico or something. And he was just the best. Like that kind of Jeopardy contestant, like good stuff. Wow, that was a tangent. So um, Georgetown. I don't Actually, know. quick a uh, quick scout on uh, Georgetown from what I've noticed, and uh, Ken Palm and Synergy seem to line up with what I've seen. Uh, they do not mind teams taking threes this year. They give up a lot of them, and they are mostly open. And so, uh, that would be a lovely uh, Marcus Howard catch fire game, and uh, 
Also, on the flip side, they do not take a lot of threes. So uh, this uh, this really looks to be a big uh, Theo versus Yurt 7 game on yeah. that end, at least. I, I think really the key would be to contain Yurt 7 um, and not have him foul out every one of the bigs. Um, that would be a way to really get yourself behind the eight ball um, in that game. Um, which, again, that is a depleted roster. You should be able to figure it out. Uh, Xavier poses, I think, a much um, tougher challenge, literally. I think they are just a uniquely tough team, um, and you don't need to look much farther than guys like Gooden and Scruggs and Marshall and Jones. Like Those guys are big, strong guys um, who have been playing together for a long time, it's kind of similar to um, the Seton Hall group from a couple of years ago. Um, oh, yeah, that's a good comparison. Um, the uh, Sonogo and Delgado and uh, not Whiteside because he left, but um, but I guess he was technically part of it. But that group of, of Seton Hall guys um, when Powell Wait, was Wait, did you say up, Whiteside? Isn't it Isaiah Whiteside? It is Isaiah Whitehead. You're thinking of Hassan oh, Whiteside. Shoot. Yep, yeah. Mm-mm-mm. I was... Uh, yeah, I apologize. Uh, I, uh, there's a Mr. Brightside joke to be made there, but I but I could not think. <laughs> yeah, Isaiah Whitehead. Thank you. Um, the pimple, not the killer song. Um, the yeah. So anyway, it's a similar group in that it's just a veteran group that will compete and fight um, in every game they're in. But they do have they have looked a little overmatched thus far in the Big East. So it's part of the reason why. This week, I think, is so important to try to get those two wins is because these are both teams that are one and three in the conference, just like you are, um, and that have, I don't know if Georgetown's underperformed, but um, it's important um, to beat these teams um, that are having similar issues to you overall to um, sort of bring yourself back um, on track. And I think that you know, th- this week is going to be a difficult one to shake off, especially because of the Providence loss. But um, you can start to sort of dig yourself out of it. And if you, um, you know, you win three of your next four games, excluding Butler, um, I think there's a, a, a corner that can be turned. I just worry that with Greg Elliott out, um, and with just sort of the mood around the program right now, um, that that is a difficult ask. Um, yeah. And that we might be headed for um, this getting worse before it gets better. Yeah. In a vacuum, I would not entirely hate a one-in-one week. Um, but... Again, there's only so many opportunities to dig yourself out of the hole. This one, this week is probably one of the better weeks in terms of opportunity in order to do that. So, again, Absolutely. not must win, but uh, it's got to yeah. happen somewhere. It's, why not start now? Yeah. Um, Hashtag stay on that grind, buddy old pal. Hashtag now we go. Um, okay. Uh, anything else you want to throw in there before we wrap this up? Uh, you were thinking of Kadeem Carrington, uh, Thank instead you. of uh, Whitehead. Kadeem Carrington. You're right. And there's a yeah. fourth. 
Is it Whitehead? I think there's a fourth. Uh, Desi Rodriguez. Yes, that's the fourth. Thank you. Good, good backfill research by you. Yep, I'm all. I'm always getting on a different Ken Palm wings and uh, making it seem like I'm sounding smart by saying them off the cuff. The the Miles Marcus thing really kicked off the Seton Hall Marquette rivalry, but the original Seton Hall Marquette rivalry in this new conference was those rock fight games with those guys against our sort of average to above average teams that were like didn't play any defense for a couple of years. Those two. Uh, units really faced off in some craziness i know that we're not like obviously i hate seton hall probably about as much as any big east team but man i legitimately loved watching angel delgado play oh angel delgado like gritty and like mean as he was like Mm -hmm. i don't know i got i got some aesthetic enjoyment out of them totally i agree with that um okay i think we should wrap it there um hopefully there will be more there will be more positive things to discuss next week um i will not hold my breath but i think that there's definitely a possibility though like we discussed the way this is lining up um until then um thank you as always for listening and uh we will be back soon go chiefs